Okay, before we leave this idea of the three keys we received in Kirtland Temple, let me go back to, remember, truth was, truth was restored in the order of its importance. So the identity of the Father, coming forth of the Book of Mormon, says no truth. You need to know what's true. Not more, not less. You need to know what's true. And then came priesthood keys. Know what a key is. Know what priesthood is. Understand the role of priesthood in our lives. And such a small percentage of that is holding an office in the priesthood, isn't it? The vast majority of that whole subject is claiming the blessings of the authority that I hold and the power that's mine because the priesthood has been restored on earth. Claim the blessings of the, the priesthood. And then we restored the church. So we've been talking about the destiny of the physical organization. We saw that when we built the Kirtland Temple, we received three significant keys. From Moses, we received the key to gather Israel. And not just gather them, but gather them into a specific place. So I wanted you to see that place. Right now we are gathering them into a church organization, but someday we will gather to a physical location. And I want you to see that the Lord's going to repeat. The, the, the symbolism of the rainbow is that what he did then to preserve the righteous into a city of safety he will do again. When he cleansed the earth the first time, he saved an entire city. And when he cleanses the earth the, the next time, he will save an entire city. So we are going to gather them into a city. We saw that we have... I know Abraham didn't come. I'm not trying to suggest that. You know what I mean, right? He brought the key of Abraham, Elias brought the key of Abraham, but I want to emphasize the name Abraham here. And receiving the key of Abraham means what? Let's be totally honest. What we really received is the Abrahamic responsibilities. And what is that responsibility? To make his name known in all the world. So we're going to pick up that one tonight. But Abraham, the key of Abraham, the key of the dispensation of Abraham, gave us the responsibility to make his name known in all the world. But then what else is Abraham asking us? The whole point of the Abrahamic covenant. Do you remember the fourth one? Make his name known in, stra in the strange places. Take the priesthood so that you bless the families of the earth. And then we got the key. Elijah brought the key so that we could seal them. So we've been talking about the responsibility to save the world can be broken into two pieces. One piece is this piece, save the families and seal them. A whole purpose of the earth is to make eternal families and then gather them. So true or false, every one of us is a missionary. Now, the culture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 
can be a little misleading and deceiving. What is our culture? What has happened in the culture of the church regarding missionary work? We have this idea that those called and sent out are the missionaries. And some people lift the responsibility to be a missionary and put it squarely on the shoulders of the called full-time missionaries. Everyone who has ever served a mission knows that finding is not your responsibility, is it? But what is it that missionaries spend the bulk of their time doing? Finding, because no one else is doing it. And I don't mean to be facetious, but finding is not the responsibility of the missionaries. And so what I want to do tonight is I am deliberately going to speak to non-missionaries and teach you how to be a missionary. If this were the MTC, I'd teach the same thing. But I talk about your responsibility as a full-time missionary. But tonight, I would love to just simply bestow upon you the absolute need to see yourself for the rest of your life as a missionary. Let me walk you through a few scriptures. Let me let the Lord make the statement. Turn with me to Doctrine and Covenants section 34. Let's begin in 34. No, let's, we don't have time for all of these. There's so many we won't cover. I just want to show you a few. 36 is where we'll probably begin. Let's go to 36. Doctrine and Covenant section 36. We're early in the restoration, and it's time to start sending out missionaries. But I love the wording here. I really love how he words it here. Let's start in verse 4, 36, 4, and 5. Now this calling and commandment I give unto you concerning all men. And that's using that word how? As all of us, all mankind. I now speak to every member of the church that as many as shall come before my servant, Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith, embracing this calling and commandment should be ordained and sent forth to preach the everlasting gospel among the nations. Now, I know you could read that as everyone should go on a mission, but how else is it intended? Everyone who embraces membership in the church should, be, should see themselves as a missionary. We are all sent forth to preach the everlasting gospel. Okay, jump to the next one. Let's go to 38. Section 38, just two more. Go down to the very end. Let me read 40, 41, and 42. Section 38, 40, 41, and 42. And again, I say unto you, I give unto you a commandment that every man, both elder, priest, teacher, and everyone, all the females in here are saying, see, it's a priesthood responsibility. See, 
I'm exempt. And then he adds what word? Member. Every member is to go forth with his might, with the labor of his hands, to prepare and accomplish the things which I have commanded. And let your preachings be a warning voice, every man to his neighbor, in mildness and in meekness, saying, Go ye out from among, among the wicked, save yourselves. Go to Zion. Who did the Lord intend to be missionaries? All right, let's do a couple more. Go to section 42, the law of the church. Remember how we talked about the law? We'll give a section heading that section 42 embraces the law of the church. Now, I know this is specific to that people, but I just love the language here. Behold, I say unto you, I give unto you this first commandment, that ye shall go forth in my name every one of you. Go forth in my name, every one of you. All right, you get the idea. Let's just do, let's do one more, 68. Let's go to section 68. What was the verse in 42? Four. Four. Mm -hmm. Let's go to 68. One and two. My servant Orson Hyde was called by his ordination to proclaim the everlasting gospel by the spirit of the living God from people to people and from land to land in the congregations of the wicked, in their synagogues, reasoning with and expounding all scriptures unto them. Now, it kind of makes it sound like he was called as a missionary, right? It wasn't Orson Hyde being called specifically as a full-time missionary. He was called and ordained and sent forth to preach the gospel. Now verse 2, And behold, lo, this is an ensample unto all those who were ordained unto this priesthood whose mission is appointed unto them to go forth. Whether you hold an office in the priesthood or not, have all of you in one way or another been ordained unto this priesthood. Therefore, every calling in the church assumes what with it? I'm a missionary. I am a missionary. Now, right now, I am not on a full-time mission, but I am a missionary. We will never build Zion if we don't have that mindset. But culturally, too many of us are shifting that onto the full-time missionaries. So with that being said, where does the Lord teach us how to be missionaries? I remind you, I revealed the truth. It's not what your mission president taught you. It's what the Lord gave us as the tool. Where did the Lord reveal how to be a missionary? In, not, not even in a manual the church produced. Where did the Lord reveal how to be a missionary? In the Book of Mormon. 
So relax your eyes a little bit and let's see this not as I am a full-time missionary, but I am a missionary for life and Lamoni represents everyone I know or will ever encounter that is outside the truth. I am Ammon and everyone I encounter outside the truth is my Lamoni. So let me redefine what you think missionary work is. Who brings up religion? Ammon or Lamoni? Who brings up religion? Lamoni. Let me contrast tonight. Now, I don't, I love Aaron. Don't get me wrong. I love Aaron. But I want to contrast Ammon's missionary approach to Aaron's missionary approach. And if anyone in this room needs a gentle rebuke, please be gently rebuked. But the Lord has set forth his expectations about how we do missionary work from the day we join the church till the day we die. So we're gonna compare Ammon with Aaron. And I do not mean in any way to demean Aaron, but I just sure see a major contrast in these two. So let's turn to Alma chapter 17. Book of Mormon, Alma 17. You can't tell me that the number, that the amount of real estate this story gets in the Book of Mormon isn't a major message to us. To me, that's the Lord waving his hand saying, are you paying attention? This is how all of my people are supposed to do missionary work. All right, Alma chapter 17. Can I maybe point out a word that you've glossed over as you run into the story? As this story begins, the Lord is very clear. Let's start in verse 11, Alma 17, 11. And the Lord said unto them, Go forth among the Lamanites, my brethren, and establish my word, and be patient in long suffering, that establishing his word and being patient are means to what end? That ye may show forth good examples in me. And that's how I will make an instrument of thee in my hands unto the salvation of many souls. Missionary work is so little about what we say and so much about who we are and how we live. And hence the emphasis on all of us from the day I join the church until the day I die must be a missionary. He says, go show them good examples. Go show them who I am. Interesting twist on the Abrahamic covenant, right? The Lord said, make my name known. Do you do that with your mouth? Not nearly as much as you do it with your life. Go make my name known. Now watch Ammon do it. Watch Ammon. Put forth a good example. So, let's follow. 
Ammon, they draw stars. Ammon gets the land of Ishmael. Verse 19, Ammon went to the land of Ishmael. Verse 20, they take him bound and they take him before Lamoni. And Lamoni asks what every Lamoni in your life is going to want to know. What is your desire? Now, tell me what usually happens when a Mormon befriends a non-Mormon. What gets their curiosity? What are your intentions? What were his intentions? Missionary starts, missionary work starts when this is your intention. Tell me what was Ammon's intention. What does he say? Lamoni says, I want to know what's your desire. Verse 23, he says simply, I just want to be around you. I just want to be with you. Maybe even till the day I die. Is his friendship conditional on Lamoni joining the church? You become a missionary when you say, I just want to be in your life, whether you join my church or not. You joining my church is not conditional upon my friendship with you. I just want you in my life. I recognize what I have, and I simply want you in my life. I recognize a, a child of my Heavenly Father in you, and I just want you in my life. I think we start by saying, I desire to dwell among you. That's the Ammon approach. I want you in my life, perhaps even till the day I die. No mention of religion. His motive wasn't, I want you to join my church. His motive was you, you in my life. May I suggest that is the heart and soul of missionary work. I desire you in my life, whether you join my church or not. Now, I don't know what Lamoni's motives were, but he offered him his daughter. Let's join kingdoms. I'm a king. You're the son of a king. Let's join kingdoms. Let's make this political. Let's manipulate this. Let's profit from this. And Ammon returns with what in verse 25? I am not interested in profit. I'm not interested in linking kingdoms. I'm not interested in a business arrangement with you. I am interested in what? I want to make your life better. That's all I want. I will be thy servant. That's missionary work. I will be thy servant. No strings attached. How can I help you? What could I do to bless your life? Now, I personally, I don't know how you read this, but I personally think that Lamoni wasn't convinced. I think the whole assignment with the sheep was a test of that friendship. And I have learned that the Lamonis in my life are going to test that friendship. They want to know if I truly love them. 
there's going to come a test of my friendship. So Lamoni puts him over the sheep. And when the sheep are scattered, he sees an opportunity. Go to verse 29. I think beyond this concept, the most important missionary work I do is the end of verse 29. When the sheep are scattered, Lamoni gets excited, or Ammon gets excited, because they saw an opportunity. An opportunity to what? I would encourage every one of you to highlight that sentence at the end of verse 29 as perhaps one of the most important ways of doing missionary work. This is the heart and soul. This is my desire. This is how I feel about you. But this is what I'm looking for. I am looking for an opportunity to do what? Find it at the very end of verse 29. I am looking for an opportunity to... But what? What will cause you to believe? Win their hearts. Now, is it my words that win their hearts? No. What wins their hearts? This wins their hearts so that now my words can start to come into play. If you are really trying to be a missionary, you are looking for, not to manipulate, but you are looking for opportunities to win their heart. Because winning their heart will allow them to believe your words. Win their hearts. And only when you win their hearts will they believe your words. Which comes first? Lamoni believing his words or Ammon winning Lamoni's heart? Now, you're going to see Aaron flips this and gets it wrong. And you and I sometimes flip it. We think our words win their hearts. So we throw words at them. It's not our words that win their hearts. We win their hearts because we love and care about them as human beings. And when they know that, then we can throw the words at them. Then the words will mean something, but not until then. So he sees an opportunity to win the hearts. Now, you know the rest of the story. Go to chapter 18. After he chops off the arms, the servants come back to tell Lamoni about what happened. Let me read in verse 2. When they had all testified of the things which they had seen, and he learned of the faithfulness of Ammon in preserving their flocks, he begins to ask what I believe is the golden question. Now, for years, we presented that idea of ask the golden question. The moment where you invite them to a church activity, the golden question is something like, would you like to know more about my church? No, 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 no. The golden question is in verse 18. Tell me what the golden question is. And we don't ask it. The golden question is, who are you? Who asks it? They do. 
Ammon is going to, or sorry, Lamoni is going to start to ask the golden question, who is this guy? Who is this guy? So in verse 2, surely this is more than a man. Sure, isn't this the great spirit? Now tell me the two things the servants knew beyond any shadow of a doubt. Tell me the two things they knew about Ammon. Number one, he's not an ordinary person. Something is special about him. That is clear to me. It is clear to me that that person is unique. And secondly, it was clear to them that he is a friend. Now we have the F word, the missionary F word. He is a true friend. Missionary work is convincing them that we have something that ordinary people don't have. And that we are friends. We are true friends. I love the wording here. We know that he is a friend to the king. So can you imagine a conversation with a modern day Lamoni? Hey, isn't Bryce a Mormon? Yeah. Aren't they weird? Don't they do all sorts of weird things? Like, didn't they used to go to church for three hours? And they don't drink alcohol or coffee or tea? Aren't they weird? Don't they wear, weird? Don't they wear magic underwear? Imagine if my Lamoni friend says, look, I don't know anything about what he believes. There's just one thing I know. He's my friend. Do you see the difference that would make? I don't know what they believe, but I know he's special and he's my friend. That's missionary work. So A, not like others. B, my friend. In fact, tell me about that friendship. Look at verse 10. Ammon said, or Lamoni says, where is this guy? Where is this guy? And the answer was doing exactly what you asked him to do. Now verse 10. When King Lamoni had heard that Ammon was preparing his horses and his chariots, he was more astonished because of the faithfulness of Ammon. Surely there has not been any servant among all my servants that has been so faithful as this man. This friendship is true. I've never had a more faithful friend. Which then leads to verse 18. Who are you? Who are you? Why are you like you? What do you have? You're different. Who are you? You see who brings up religion here? Now, that doesn't mean it's never appropriate to bring up religion. But do you see religion comes into play at what point? When hearts are prepared. Who are you? Can I tell you my most favorite who are you story? 
I served in a little farming community in Mexico right outside of Cuautla named Cuauhtla. It's where they grow tomatoes. In fact, many of our winter tomatoes come from that area. It's, it's hard farming, and those farmers work long hours. They probably pull three crops out of the ground a year, not one. And they're constantly farming. And it's a lot of hard work. And they're tough guys and girls. There was a farmer, we saw him around town. Now, it's not like, you know, you just, you don't live on your farm. You live in town and you have property out there. And so we all got to live around each other. And I saw this guy and he was tough and he was crusty and, and I'm hard to miss. I'm six foot four and I'm an American and everyone knew it and, you know, el gote grande, er, el, el guero grande is what they called me. So one day this guy stalked me and he was rude as could be. He said, show me your hands. I don't think you have a callus on your hands, you Americans. He just thought we lived this life of luxury. He said, I don't think you've worked a hard day in your life. Show me your hands. I don't think there's a callus on it. So I said, what time do you leave your for your farm in the morning? He said, I leave at 6 a.m. I said, we'll be there. Is that your house? Yep, we'll be there, 6 a.m. The next morning at 6 a.m., two missionaries in T-shirts and P-Day clothes and machetes showed up at his house. So he took us out onto his farm and he, I said, put us to work. He had a ditch full of weeds. He says, I need this ditch cleared. It was about six feet deep and probably 12 feet wide. He says, I need that ditch cleared. It had gone all to brush. So our normal day was white shirts, ties, you put us in a ditch with machetes, that's not work, that's play. <laughs> oh my goodness, we had so much fun. So my companion and I, it was a race. He was on that side and I was on that side and we're gonna see who goes the furthest and the fastest. So we were swinging machetes and singing primary songs and laughing <laughs> and he would come out and check on us several times and I could kind of see him out of the corner of my eye. You know, he's just like, he's just watching us like, <laughs> but then he'd look back and see all that we'd cleared and he was just amazed um, one, time, one time while he was watching my companion hit down a beehive so we're like swinging at the bees with our machetes and just laughing hysterically it was so fun and he just was dumbfounded so we worked all day at the end of the day, we jumped into his truck, went back to town. He walked into his house and came out with a wad of money to pay us for what we did that day. And I said, nope, we didn't do that for pay. We're happy to help. And if you ever need us, please let us know. Now tell me what the next words out of his mouth were. Who are you? Now that we'd love to talk about. And then the conversation begins. Because we won his heart. We won his heart with faithfulness and service. And we'd do it again. You need us tomorrow? Let us know. He said, I don't want your work. I want to know who you are and what you have. Now, do you see what the Lord's doing? To me, as I read the Book of Mormon, and this prominent story, I hear the Lord waving his arms saying, it's really not that complicated, people. 
I need everyone in my church to do that. And this mission, this church will grow. Now let's contrast Ammon and Aaron. I don't mean to belittle Aaron at all, but I need you to see the difference. Go to chapter 19. And unfortunately, the Aaron approach is all too common. Sorry, not, let's go to 21. 21. Verse 4. Tell me the phrase that jumps off the page. Came to pass that Aaron came into the city of Jerusalem and first began to preach. Aaron's approach was first began to preach. Now, you've all seen that approach, haven't you? And I'm guessing you all had a young man's or a young woman's leader that kind of had that approach. I correct your behavior by preaching. I scold you with scripture. I reprimand you with doctrine. And we first began to preach. Now you tell me in verse 5, what word usually is associated with people who first begin to preach. Taking that approach, what word jumps off the page in verse 5? Contention. Almost without fail, that approach leads to contention, spoken or unspoken. <clears throat> I had an advisor. I had a priest quorum advisor that after we would go in and start our priest quorum meeting, he left and went to the bishop's office and called every priest that wasn't there. And it wasn't, how you doing? It was first began to preach. It was a reprimand with doctrine, not a win your heart. And guess what? It led to almost every single time. Oh, let me get dressed and come to church. No, it led to contention. Spoken or unspoken, it led to contention. I don't know, maybe I'm reading this incorrect, but what does Aaron then do in verse 9? When his preaching led to contention, tell me what he does. He pulls out the scriptures. To do what? I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. Let me pull out the scriptures and I'll prove it. See, right there, you're an idiot. Says it right there, you're an idiot. I'm proving it. Now look at verse 10. When we take that approach to prove that I'm right and you're wrong, give me the three phrases you find in verse 10. 
First, it leads to anger, not conversion. They're angry. And then they mock. And then they won't hear. Why would I? You're not offering anything that I have an incentive to read. Now, do you see the two? Now, I'm being a little facetious and pushing that to an extreme, but do you see the point? Do you know people who parent this way? And do you know people who parent this way? Have you ever seen a bishop lead his ward this way versus a bishop who leads his ward this way? They throw him in prison. They throw him in prison. And it didn't work. Now watch Ammon do it again. Go to 22. Oh, sorry. Let's go back to 20. Let's go back to 20. Watch Ammon do it again. So Lamona, you know, falls into the trance and misses his dad's party, right? So in chapter 20, Lamoni and Ammon, trying to go free his brethren, run into Lamoni's dad, king of all the Lamanites. Now, not a very good man, this guy, and I'll prove it. Uh, verse 7, come, I will go down with the land of Madonai, and I will plead with the king that he will, cast, he will cast thy brethren out of prison. came to pass that as Ammon and Lamoni were journeying thither, they met the father of Lamoni, who was king over all the land. And the father says, why did, you why did you not come to the feast on the great day when I made a feast unto my sons and unto my people? And where are you going with this Nephite who's a liar? Verse 11, it came to pass that Lamoni rehearsed unto him whether he was going, for he feared offending him. And he also told him the cause of his tarrying in his own kingdom, that he did not go to his father unto the feast. I wish we had that statement. I'd love to know what he said to his dad. Oh, I was converted and in a trance and I saw Jesus. His dad's not ready to hear that, right? Verse 13, Lamona, after Lamona had rehearsed unto them all these things, behold, to his astonishment, his father was angry with him and said, Lamona, you are going to deliver these Nephites who are sons of liars, who robbed our fathers. And then verse 14, he commanded Lamoni to slay Ammon. And Lamoni says in verse 15, I won't. Now, great dad here, great father. Fine, if you won't, then I'll kill you. Verse 16, he was angry with him and drew his sword that he might smite him. Now, who's the him here? Not Ammon, his son. He's going to kill his son because his son won't kill a Nephite. Great dad. Father of the year award there. So Ammon steps forward to defend Lamoni. Now, General rule, you want to win a parent's heart, what do you do? You love their child. Watch Ammon win his heart. Ready? Ammon stood forth 
you're not going to slay your son and it'd be better for him to die than for you. He's prepared to see it as redeemer. And then the king turns on Ammon. Verse 20, he stretched forth his hand to slay Ammon. But Ammon withstood his blows and smote his arm. What is it with Ammon and arms? I just don't understand. <laughs> he smote his arm so he couldn't use it. And now he began to plead with Ammon that he would spare his life. What does he offer him? Verse 23, if you will spare me, I will grant unto thee whatsoever you ask, even to half my kingdom. Now, ironically, what will he offer for the gospel? His whole kingdom. But I will give you half the Lamanite kingdom if you won't kill me. And Ammon says, all I want is two things. Number one, let my brethren go. And number two, don't you harm your son. Now, look at, look at verse 26. When he saw the great love he had for his son Lamoni, he was astonished. What's going to be the next word? What's the next thing out of his mouth? This doesn't say it there, but what's the next thing out of his mouth? Who are you? I want you to come teach me. I want you to come. Verse 27, I will grant unto thee that my brethren, thy brethren may be cast out of prison, and thou and thy brethren may come unto me in my kingdom, for I shall greatly desire to see thee. End of verse 27, he was desirous to learn. Now, do you see this again? Once we win their hearts, then they're ready for our words. But until we win their hearts, our words are meaningless. He won the king's heart by loving his son. Now I want you to teach me. Now I wonder if Aaron heard Ammon's approach and changed. Jump to 22. Aaron is the one that's going to be sent to the, teach the Lamoni's dad, right? Ammon goes somewhere else and Aaron goes to see the king. And when he walks into the sea, the king, look at verse three and tell me Aaron hasn't learned something. Instead of first began to preach, what's his approach this time? If you'll spare our lives, we'll be thy servants. What does the king say? I don't want servants. My heart has already been won. What I want is information. You see the difference? My heart has been won. I don't want servants. I want you to teach me. Now, how many chapters is this story in the Book of Mormon? How much real estate does this story get in the Book of Mormon? And tell me the Lord's not simply saying, this is what I want my people to be. But here's the date, here's the reality. The best, most helpful missionary tool we have are the lives of the members. The biggest obstacle to the church growing is the lives of the members. That is the responsibility placed on Abraham. In the Book of Mormon, what was often the biggest obstacle for the church growing? The wickedness of the members. 
Let me show you one example. In stark contrast to this, go to Alma 39, Corianton. Go to Alma 39. What does he say to his son? I think it's verse 11. Oh, my son, that last sentence of verse 11, Alma 39, verse 11. Oh, my son, what great iniquity ye brought upon the Zoramites, for when they saw your conduct, they would not believe my words. Which is louder, our words or our conduct? When does Lamoni bring, believe Ammon's words? When he sees his conduct. Why do the Zoramites not receive Ammon's words? Because of the conduct of his son. Do you see the message? Now, you want the zinc? If, we, if you have a vision, if you have caught the vision of Zion and where this church is going, and that the Lord pushed the pause button until we get better and we get bigger, is there a connection between us getting better and us getting bigger? Do you now see the connection? When will we get bigger? When we get better. When we show the world that we have something that they don't. And it's not our words that show that. It's our lives that show that. So, accept the challenge and be a missionary if you have said things that have been a bad example for someone and push them away i hate to be bold and i hate to use guilt but i do need you to understand if someone walked away because of your bad example you will be held accountable for that someone You knew better. That is the covenant of Abraham. That is why we have been abundantly blessed in our lives, is so that we accept the responsibility to be what we are and what we should be. And that means everywhere I go, everything I do, my conduct needs to show them who God is so that they come back and say, who are you? I know you're different. Now tell me who you are. I would plead with you to understand the role of missionary work in everyday life, in everyday members. Every one of us are missionaries. And you are either giving a good example and pulling people in or you are being a bad example and pushing people away. Claim the privileges of Abraham. Claim the blessings that come with being Abraham. Claim the protection and the preservation. Claim the power, but accept the responsibility of Abraham to put forth good examples that they will win, that we can win their hearts. And maybe, if we win their hearts, our words 
will be effective. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.